I think that that there's been for a long time this obsession with like decentralization, even though that could be kind of hard to quantify, to the detriment of performance. And if a blockchain can only settle 12 or 13 transactions per second, I don't see how it becomes this global data pipeline that everyone can like depend on because you can only do 12 or 13 things a second on it. Hey everybody, Tanner here with Wagner Ventures. On today's episode, we have Alex Kahn, co-founder and CEO at Akanya Labs. For anyone who's new, this is the Wagner Ventures podcast, where we do snapshots with interesting builders and founders from across Web3. Check out wagnerventures.io to learn more about the syndicate behind the podcast. But for now, let's get in with Alex at Akanya Labs. All right, hey everybody, I'm here today with Alex Kahn, co-founder and CEO at Akonia Labs. Alex, what's up? How are you doing today? Hey, Tanner. Thank you for having me. Greetings, everybody from Portland, Oregon. Love it. I'm super excited to chat. You guys are doing some awesome stuff. So I'm, I'm really pumped to kind of dive in. And so, you know, maybe just to start, I'd love to learn a little bit more kind of in two dimensions of your story. One, maybe just kind of quick professional. What have you been up to? Right. And then secondly, like the crypto story for you, like how did you get interested? You know, what does it look like leading up to creating Aconia Labs? Awesome. Love it. Yeah. 2D can do. So my, my name is Alex. I actually am a mechanical engineer by trade. Both of my degrees are in mechanical engineering, most recently from Stanford. I was involved with aerospace engineering. Primarily after I got out of school, I worked with robotics, got a patent on a mechanism design during grad school. And before getting into crypto, I designed the navigation algorithms that power what's called attitude heading reference system in a plane. So essentially, you know, you fuse all the sensor data you make sure that it gives you heading, pitch, and roll, and you test it a million times to death because if it fails, the plane goes down. So a healthy dose of paranoia, a software-based engineering in me for, for a while now. As far as getting into crypto, like most, I think like most engineers maybe who were not necessarily in it through finance, I think I got into it through just looking at, at the technology. I started trading a little bit, wanted to learn more about the, the, the things I was buying, started reading more, and it became pretty quick apparent to me that the blockchain is a computer and it's a new kind of computer you know as i learned more it became more apparent to me that the blockchain is this computer that kind of inverts the power dynamic where software is in control of the hardware rather than hardware in control of the software and you know you get all these interesting properties like immutable ledgers the primary use case ends up being for finance and so i learned a little bit more about trading what really kind of blew me away was actually when i first learned about serum on solana because I thought, okay, we have something that is, you know, it's in its infancy. We're looking at this kind of initial baby stage, but this is a legitimate competitor to systems like the NASDAQ or the NYSE someday down the road. Like it might not be fast enough just yet, but we've got a distributed decentralized exchange and you can do on-chain trading. And that really captivated me. And I started, you know, looking through the docs a little more, playing around. And there were some things about the system that just kind of nagged at me, like, why can't it settle trades atomically? Why do you have to have this thing called a crank? It turned out to be uh, due to the limitations of the Solana runtime. And and then I learned about this new L1 Aptos eventually, actually through a Kyle Samani tweet. And I started reading through the docs, looking through it. I learned more about the block STM execution engine. And it was kind of a vote of confidence for me, honestly, that the, the chain was developed essentially out of a research and development project at Facebook, because I thought, well, look, if anyone can build a scalable globally distributed system. It's Facebook engineers, honestly. And, you know, a year and a half, almost two years later, that initial intuition, I think has been mostly vindicated. Um, we've seen a lot of performance from the chain and glad to talk more about how exciting and sometimes terrifying how fast it is later in the, the episode. But yeah, I, I ended up 
working on a little hackathon project, went to the pre-mainnet inaugural Aptos hackathon in May of last year, presented on this preliminary order book project, ended up teaming up with my co-founder who was presenting on a, a different project there. And we joined the Aptos Accelerator program after the order book project won a prize. We moved to Palo Alto, worked out of Silicon Valley for six months alongside core Aptos engineers out of their office and just, you know, learn more about the move language, optimize everything, build new versions. And so, yeah, I think at that point I've kind of transitioned to like Aconia and the, and the project. Yeah, perfect. I'm curious now, what is Aconia Labs? What are you guys building? Maybe you've kind of gotten us to what it is, but maybe tell us what are you guys building kind of in its totality? So Aconia Labs is the, you know, organization that is developing the Aconia protocol. And the Aconia protocol is a fully on-chain order book. You can think of it kind of like the NASDAQ, but instead of the NASDAQ living in this data center in New Jersey, it lives on the blockchain. And all of the data that constitutes the orders, all of the matching engines and algorithms, it's all completely transparent. All of our code is open source. It has been since inception. And it gives you this property of having almost like a whiteboard in the sky for financial data that, you know, other people have talked about for different, I think, applications, but in our case, it's for it's for trading. So um, anyone can participate. It's a fully permissionless system. Anyone can register a market with any trading pair. And I sometimes analogize it to, you know, what we're building is like backend. So we're kind of like the NASDAQ, but you also have things like E-Trade and um, Robinhood hooked up as front ends to the NASDAQ. And so we have front end partners who are building those front ends. And the result is that you can place a limit order on one of our integrating partners front ends. And then someone on a different integrating um, front end can fill against that. So it's one global liquidity venue for people to place limit orders. And the I think the interesting part about this too is that we've already seen on-chain trading manifested through AMMs for years now. But because of the you know XY equals K curve, there's a lot of inefficiencies in the way trades happen. There's there's slippage, and unless you've got multiple billions in a liquidity pool, you're often subject to some of those inefficiencies that are just a result of AMM implementation. Granted, implementing a fully on-chain order book at scale has not necessarily been possible, I think, until now with technologies like the Aptos blockchain that we're building on top of. And so we're trying to provide a new trading experience that's on-chain, but functions like a centralized exchange experience. So we've got SDKs that allow institutional partners to make markets you know, directly from the command line so they can mainline liquidity straight into the protocol. And then retail can trade on, you know, on aggregators or or trading terminal front ends, and they can match against it. So it creates this like synergistic relationship between market makers who want to you know, deploy their liquidity on chain and retail who want a counterparty to trade against. And it's all efficient because we're using an order book, which is essentially the, the pillar of, of finance and, and price discovery. And, and beyond just simple spot trading applications, we also add these sort of endpoints for margin trading, for derivatives like perpetual futures, for example. And so we're essentially making the Akania protocol as extensible as we can. Ultimately, like, I, I don't know if maybe we could do some kind of study and we could like prove it's turn complete or something at some point. But for now, we're basically just going to make it as composable as possible. And we've already seen multiple protocols integrate during our testnet competition, which is actually ongoing right now. Perfect. Okay. Fascinating. So before we get too in the weeds, I'd love to learn a little bit more about the thinking with choosing Aptos. As you guys, it seems like you've kind of grown up right alongside Aptos. And I'm really curious, you know, it sounds like speed was a major factor for you, but what else was going into that decision that might be useful for others as they're kind of considering, you know, blockchain selection for their, for their project? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Aptos uses this novel blockchain programming language called Move that was developed specifically for blockchains. 
There are a couple of flavors of it out there now. Sui forked it and did a kind of object-oriented model, which uh, deviates slightly from the, the the move that I'm used to, which is a lot more like the C programming language. But essentially, it's a it's a Rust-based language that has type safety. It has formal verification built in, and it's designed to prevent the kinds of issues that happen with solidity contracts, for example, like reentrancy attacks are a big problem, and you know exploits on on EVM projects. I think are are there, it's a lot easier for developers to, to shoot themselves in the foot, but Move is designed to take away a lot of those issues. Obviously, you can still write a faulty contract if you want, but Move, the, the language is, I think, a huge unlock for developers. It really increases the rate of development. And in my experience, it is a lot like the embedded systems programming that I used to do. So I'm personally biased towards it for, for that case. You know, you can write unit tests in the same you know module, which allows you to verify that your logic's doing everything you want on the Move level. And then as far as Aptos goes, it's paired with this, you know, world-class distributed networking and consensus layer built around Aptos BFT. They also have an execution engine called BlockSTM. This, this means a software transactional memory. It's essentially a way to execute transactions and assume they won't collide. And then you can execute them in parallel. So Alex can send money to Bob at the same time as Charlie sends money to Debbie, and they'll execute at the same time. And the parallelism that Aptos uses allows this to, to happen in a much more developer-friendly way than we've seen on other chains. So Solana was one of the first chains, I think, to introduce like monolithic parallelism in a big way. But they use a pessimistic form of, concern, of concurrency rather than optimistic. And that meant that it essentially assumed transactions would collide rather than assuming they wouldn't and then reevaluating after the fact. And the result was that you had to load up a Solana transaction with a bunch of headers and it, it made, made things a little more complicated and, and broke down some of the composability. Whereas on Aptos, we are able to you know, write an order book that just uses the expressive move language combined with Aptos's intrinsic parallelism to, do, to, to, not, to like remove the extra things we have to think about. And the scale that we've seen this execute at has been pretty mind-blowing so far. Um, you know, Aptos has already benchmarked you know, multiple thousands of transactions live, not including system transactions. And during our testnet competition that's ongoing right now, we've seen... I think several hundred thousand fills so far, just in a, a matter of a couple of days. We've actually had so much data flowing through our matching engine and the system that the downstream consumers are actually having a hard time keeping up. So what's what's really impressive to me and is like a vindication of the chain is that the L1 is so fast that traditional like relational database systems like Postgres are having a hard time keeping up and we're having to like implement pagination on things that normally you'd think wouldn't have to be paginated. So a lot of exciting basically just throughput going through the system happening right now. And it's and I think the major unlock for us in some ways is really just that we decided to build our protocol on Aptos. Yeah, fascinating. Okay, so let's jump back to the very beginning where I'm always curious, it, this is a bit of a recurring question on the show because I'm always curious, you know, there's good surprises and bad surprises, right? There's always things that deviate from what your expectations might be in building something new. And so I'm, I'm curious, maybe that first category of, of you know, surprises that you would consider good surprises like what maybe might one or two of those be as you reflect back kind of from the beginning of the journey you know can you talk us through what those surprises were and and how they've shaped things thus far yeah straight from the beginning i think i i came into this as a i don't know engineering maxi and i thought at the end of the day the only thing that, that matters is the code and you just need to write good code and it it became quickly apparent how much the community and the the ecosystem and the partnerships made a difference. The the success we had with our seed round fundraise led by Dragonfly for six point five million 
that was, I think, largely attributed to the fact that we met a lot of people in person, had, had in-person conversations, got to know people over multiple meetings. We had friends in the, in the Bay Area where we were living at the time in, in, the, in the crypto space. And we've, we've forged partnerships with people all around the world at attendance at different conferences. And now people are building products on top of Akania all because of that. And so I, at first, I think it, it kind of was a, maybe annoying to me because I was like, oh, I just need to code and I have to you know, um, <laughs> meet and, with the, and, and prepare this pitch deck or whatever. But right. as time has gone on and, and that, you know, the fundraise is, is done and, and there's more development going on, I really do appreciate how much we're able to connect with these people all around the world and how it, it is really just like a community hive mind. So I think the social aspect of blockchains has been something that I didn't necessarily expect. I thought it was all like game theory and mathematically rigorous, but it turns out that that game theory plays out in the real world as, as social and emotional relationships. Totally. Okay. So flip side of that question, then, you know, there's good surprises. What about bad surprises or, or maybe framed differently kind of early challenges that maybe weren't foreseen, but your team has had to basically solve for. And I'm curious, what's one or two of those early challenges and how have you and your team solved for those? Yeah, I think scaling the, the team has been pretty difficult. And I think that one thing we learned early was just how much like attitude matters on a team, honestly, and finding the right people and um, having hard conversations and making hard decisions as far as letting people go if it's not the right fit and going and interviewing person after person after person and, and them not being the right fit. But when when we do finally, you know, at the end of the day, sit down, if, you know, if I, I call my lead engineer and we can talk about something that, that happened on, on chain, it, it is really rewarding to have known that we made it through that tough process you know, my, my co-founder and I through all the hiring and everything, and then we're, we're building out this team of people we really can trust. You know, this is the first time I've been in a management role. And obviously, as a CEO co-founder, you know, hiring and, and firing is, is a big part of what I do. And so that has been a steep learning curve, which was definitely difficult in the beginning. But I think that putting in the hard work there, it's, you know, it's not necessarily complex. It's, it's simple in some sense, but that doesn't mean it's not difficult. You know, it's simple rule that's like, you know, you like, if you're only going to, meet you know one one person who really can work on this team out of 50 then that means you have to be 50 people until you find them and so i think that that's been one of the most difficult things but also has been really rewarding to finally figure out that system as, as time has gone on love it okay so maybe one last question for you here before we jump into kind of talking a little bit about the space more broadly where i'm curious you know if things continue in the direction that they're going you know which is successful more engagement more adoption I'm curious, how do things change? And what are you, especially really like, what are you most excited about on a timeline of like one to three years about what's different about the space because you guys exist? A lot of DeFi so far has been a proving ground. And when the most successful applications start to scale, people look at them with serious conviction and think, okay, are we going to use this? I, I know that Traditional financial institutions have started to look into, I, I think, the, the bonding curves that some of the ethel one stable swap protocols have used. I, I know that like institutional partners are already looking at, at on-chain order books. And I think that if we, if we can prove out the Econia protocol, if we can settle you know, hundreds, thousands of transactions per second on mainnet with, with crypto assets, at that point, I think the question then becomes, why is a centralized exchange better? And I think that that question becomes harder and harder to answer as the blockchain technology catches up to the centralized database technology. And 
the the issue though is that if we can if we can prove that you can trade something if you can trade one you know commodity or equity on chain and it's efficient and and people want to engage with it that way well then you kind of have to support all equities and all commodities and all financial instruments on chain and then it it's like you have a thousand x scaling problem because i think as soon as as soon as we demonstrate that you can do these things in real time that you can put massive throughput through them you can do price discovery on chain and that becomes a down of venue then then i don't see why we don't see all liquidity move on chain you know who knows if it's if it's permissioned in different venues if if maybe the nasdaq owns its own little corner of the aptos blockchain or this or that on one it's like it's hard to say but i think that blockchains are starting to to scale to the point where they're getting serious attention and when i think the first like twitter or whomever like goes on chain then a lot of other big organizations are going to have that kind of vote of confidence and then i think at a certain point they're going to all kind of want to go on chain and we're going to see another like growing pains of of finding this global scale because i think we only you know we're not we're not at you know billions of daily active users yet but but i totally believe we can and i think it's only logical that it becomes that that, that way but before we get there, you know, we, we still have another like 100,000x. And I think it's going to be an exciting time, but also a terrifying time when I think about trying to index all the data going through the system. That's going to be a nightmare. <laughs> sure. Fascinating. Okay. So let's maybe turn and talk about the space sort of as a whole a little bit more here. So I'm curious, like, what are we getting right here in 2023 in crypto? And maybe from your perspective, like, what's one or two things we're not doing as well? Yeah. So I, you know, everyone has says like, you know, not your keys, not your coins. I've also heard your keys, your problem. I, I still struggle to explain the concept of a private key to people who are new to crypto. That I, I don't know what the exact solution is for at the moment. I suspect we're eventually going to see large custodial services where you can get a password reset, but they hold all the keys. I don't, I don't know if, you know, we've then just gone full circle because then it's like, oh, you have a bank holding all the money and now you just have a new kind of bank holding all the keys. Right. I think it's still transparent because it's on chain, but it, it raises new questions. The UX could be improved. It's still kind of complicated at times. I'm not a front end engineer. I'm going to leave it to all my, you know, React homies out there to, to figure that side of things out, but it's getting better. I think what we are doing now is I think that there are now, there, there's now a serious school of thought in crypto that that views scaling as something achievable and not something impossible due to this, you know, alleged blockchain trilemma. I think that that there's been for a long time this obsession with like decentralization, even though that could be kind of hard to quantify, to the detriment of performance. And if a blockchain can only settle 12 or 13 transactions per second, I don't see how it becomes this global data pipeline that everyone can like depend on because you can only do 12 or 13 things in a second on it. And I think that with, honestly, with the advent of Solana, I think there's been a new school of thought that realizes, no, these things can scale. They're trickier, but we can figure it out. And I think that the, the new generation of L1s that are very high performance, I think are ultimately going to win the day. And I'm excited to see things flipping and I'm excited to see more adoption and use cases because as an engineer for me it's all about performance i just and i feel like this story is played out like the internet was slow and then it got fast and computers were slow and then they got fast and blockchains were slow and they're getting faster and so i just want i just want faster all ones love it perfect okay so 
Next question for you is if you could go back to the beginning and maybe impart some advice from your current version of yourself, like what, what are some things you wish you knew at the beginning that might be helpful for others to kind of leverage or, or hear if they're at the beginning of their journey, really about like being a founder sort of in the crypto space? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Being a founder, I think the, the personal connections is so material and makes such a big difference. Like really, I would, I would advise myself to go yeah, have like meet, meet more founders in the beginning. And, and if I wanted to talk to an investor, if I could try and talk to them in person, you know, forge relationships, that's really important. And I think at the end of the day too, it helps, it helps create the community effect. And, and it's fun to wake up every day and, and, you know, be out here building things with my friends uh, from the internet. And I think the second thing is that I would, I would say, do not underestimate persistence. Turnover is so fast in crypto. The news cycle moves so fast. People so quickly can alter their attention from one thing to another. And I think staying the course ultimately has a huge benefit that, and like maybe this is too like old school or principled or whatever, but I mean, simply like chugging along, like implementing the fixes day after day, learning and staying with the protocol and growing has made so much of a difference. And it's only been like 18 months since we started and we haven't really altered the course. We, we're doing what we set out to do. It just took a while. It's a complex system and we're getting it off the ground and it's exciting. But if you know, I had given up on one of those nights earlier, if I thought, well, maybe we need to pivot to this new hot L2 or something, you know, the project would, wouldn't be where it is today. So yeah, I would say relationships and persistence are probably the two things I would harp on the most. Love it. That's great advice. So Alex, maybe two last questions here for you. First question is if and actually kind of a, another recurring one here on the show. If I were to say the future of crypto is blank, how would you fill in the blank? Faster than it is today. Okay. And I, I guess you kind of elaborated on that already. So <laughs> Super fast, more data, all of the throughput, impo- nearly impossible to index, but we'll figure it out. Nice. Okay. Alex, last question. What is your team working on right now? And what's the best way for people to follow along on the journey or even get involved themselves? Yeah. So right now we're going through our testnet training competition. If you want to participate, go to akania.fun. We've got three integrating partners, Aries, Kana, and Swap GPT, all building front-end trading interfaces on top of the Akania order book. Of course, you can follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. We are at Akania Labs, E-C-O-N-I-A-L-A-B-S. And as always, the real alpha truly is on GitHub. You can just look at the Akania Labs organization. Everything we do is open source. So check out our pull requests. Perfect. Alex, thank you so much for the time. Fascinating look at what you guys are building and I'm excited to follow along myself. So have a great upcoming weekend here and take care. Thank you, Tanner and the rest of the Wagme folks for having me on today. All right. Bye-bye.